I really am grateful for Claude and Meredith's vision, uh, for their friendship, and uh, for their heart for the region. Uh, I'm excited for this huge responsibility uh, as we work through Philippians, but man, I would be dumb uh, if I didn't take a little advantage of Claude being gone right now, uh, because Claude, uh, the very first week, for those that were here, uh, told a story uh, that involved me, and uh, you know, that's all I'm going to say about that. So now I have the microphone. Pretty, pretty excited. But here's the deal. My mom is here today, uh, and I was raised right, you know. I was, I was raised right. So I'm not going to say anything behind his back. So I'm going to mute the microphone in case he hears the pocket. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, I, uh, I have plenty of stories. I've known Claude for 33 years. Yikes. It's a long time, man. I'm old. Uh, and I have uh, some stories. Most of those stories involved him almost dying in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and I would get into those, but I'll wait until he's actually here so he can defend himself. Uh, one of the things that I do want to say is that uh, I do admire him. And, and for those that know Claude, and, and especially for those that don't, I want you to know Claude's the real deal. He really is. He's the... Uh, uh, he's been the same for a long, long time, and don't worry, this message is not about Claude <laughs> and Meredith, uh, but I want you to know that it's been so cool to kind of watch uh, God get a hold of him and, and develop a, a heart for people and just kind of see what God is up to uh, in this man's life and uh, pretty exciting days ahead. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. If you've got the YouVersion app, you can check that out there. Uh, as Tara already mentioned, we'd love for you to check out our online notes there. But if you don't have either one of those, uh, the message is going to be up on the screen today, these verses here. Uh, we are in, again, week 4, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, through Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. I'm going to take the first section uh, right now, and then we'll uh, pray then we'll roll up our sleeves and get to work. So Philippians 1.27 says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do come before you today knowing full well that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain, Father God. Lord, we are soft launching. We're working hard uh, at partnering with you, Lord God. But we know that unless you're here, unless you show up, unless you do the work that we can't do, we are bound to fail. So we ask today, God, that you would build your church here in Victor and the east side of Rochester and beyond, Lord God. Father, we don't want to labor in vain, and so we need you today, God. We need you to show up. Lord God. We pray, Father, that you would illuminate our, our hearts today, Lord God. Open uh, the, the ears of our understanding and the eyes of our understanding today. Uh, may you be glorified in the way that the text comes alive through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray for Claude and Meredith and the Valdez family, Lord God. Would you empower them uh, and uh, just give them a great week, Lord, uh, blessed by your spirit. I pray for uh, grace and rest even uh, in the midst of being away. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, this passage brings to mind uh, one of my favorite stories of all time. You may know the story uh, of Olympian named Matthew Emmons. In 2004, Matthew Emmons was uh, on the verge of realizing his dream. Even from a very, very young age, he had this kind of unique dream not very many of us have. He wanted to win a gold medal at the Olympics, which I'm sure a lot of us have. But very specifically, he wanted to win it uh, in riflery, in shooting. And, uh, okay, that's great. You know, at least you're not dreaming of something, you know, more depressing or whatever it would be. So he, he really wants to be uh, a gold medal athlete. He arrives uh, in 2004 at the Olympics and uh, through almost every single leg of the competition, he is blowing his competition away. He is so far ahead of his competition with one round to go uh, that he is a lock for the gold medal. Uh, all he needed to do was to shoot through a bullseye, not through the actual bullseye itself, but any part of that outer ring there, and he would have gotten his gold medal and realized his dream. Made him a little nervous. And so he realized that. He took a big, deep breath and steadied himself. He looked into the scope, took another big, deep breath, and before he exhaled, he fired. Guess what happened? Anybody know? Not misfired. Oh, it was a bullseye. It was a bullseye. He hit right through the center of the target. He was excited, you know. He realized that this is his dream, but he was a little bit puzzled because the, the uh, sound that indicates a hit didn't go off. And so he kind of glanced over at the judges who were talking amongst themselves, but he was celebrating, and all of a sudden, one of the judges comes over to him and whispers something in his ear. He had hit the bullseye, but he had aimed at the wrong target. It was the complete wrong target, and as a result, his aim was 20 feet off. And because of that, he was so far off that he was, went from being a lock for a medal all the way down to eighth place, completely out of medal contention. Devastating. Can you imagine what that feels like? Now, for those of you that uh, are sad for him right now and maybe shedding a little tear, in 2008, he did come back and win uh, a gold medal in that rifle. Uh, but, but don't think about 2008 yet. I want you to focus on what it would be like to think that you had hit the bullseye of exactly what you were aiming for, only to realize that you were way, way off. That's what Paul begins to talk about here in Philippians chapter 1. Matthew Emmons hits exactly what he's aiming for, but he was aiming for the wrong thing, and it left him devastated. For so many of us, the, the answer to the question, what is your life aiming at, uh, are things that seem right, sound like would, would make the right answer, whether it be just peace in my family or a good career so I can provide uh, or uh, helping others or I'm here at Centerway, aren't I? I'm getting up early. I'm driving a long way so I can help out uh, God's church here uh, in Rochester. But the truth of the matter is uh, so often the things that we believe will cause us to be content are things that we're actually aiming for that miss the mark completely. So, so many times we can say, well, at least I'm not aiming at things that are selfish things. I'm not aiming for getting what I want. Like, I'm not aiming for the right job. You know, I'm, I'm aiming for God's right job for me. I'm not aiming for more money. I'm aiming for God's plan uh, for my money. 
But the truth of the matter is, if we look at verse 27 again, we'll see a clear picture of what our lives should be, begin to aim at. Verse 27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I want you to keep a look, an eye out uh, for that phrase, striving side by side. I love that because in the Greek, that phrase, striving side by side, is one word, and that word is soon athleo, soon athleo. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, we're at a college campus, but I'm not trying to get all technical on you. That's very critical because if you, if you hear the word soon athleo, you might hear the word athletic in that, athletic. And what Paul is really saying is that our aim should be that we strive side by side for gospel unity right, uh, for the faith of the gospel. Paul says that if I am to live a worthy life, worthy enough for the gospel, it won't be aimed at myself. It will be aimed at gospel unity. Gospel unity meaning being united with the people around me. But I love the idea of striving side by side together because Paul, in essence, is saying that as a church, this is the target. This is a brand new church. We're trying to figure out what we're aiming at. We have this direction. Uh, and Paul is saying, make sure that you are striving side by side. Unity, gospel unity, is the target. And uh, if you want to know what your church should be aiming for, it's not a political stance or a fancier building or incredible programming. Our target is to be united for the sake of the gospel. And so uh, there are two things that Paul brings out that kind of illustrate what this looks like. So if you're like me, you'd say, okay, that sounds great. What does that look like in my life? Kind of give me some details, step by step, if you would. How do we know we're aiming at the proper target with our lives and with this brand new church? Uh, the first answer, I think, is found in verse 27, uh, and that is that we'll be doing life together. We'll be doing life together. When I say that, the text goes so much deeper than just saying, hey, you want to go out to eat afterward? Now, that stuff is great, and that's important to do, and I think we should be doing that. But when you hear the word soon athleo, striving side by side for faith in the gospel, we might hear something that would be a little bit different than the original readers of this uh, epistle would hear. Because uh, this was a military colony. This was uh, lots of war veterans and current military uh, in the Roman army were stationed in Philippi. And so they hear Sunethleto, and they understand that unity comes from being on the same team, the same army battalion, or whatever it would be, uh, and fighting side by side for the same goal. So that might mean defeating your enemy uh, or what, whatever it would look like in there. But they would realize that it doesn't mean that we would be united by um, all liking the same worship song, you know. Uh, hey, we've got to be united, so we all got to like that worship music, you know. Or we're all going to be united, so we all have to uh, wear these black Nikes and uh, <laughs> uh, look to the skies. Uh, what they realize is that soon athleto means you're united, but not because of the things that you um, have in common, but because of the goal that you have in common. So soon athleto meant that you were militarily fighting the same battle together. 
And uh, sometimes we think of unity as all having to have the same skills or interests uh, or even the same kind of mindset. But I think of baseball, uh, you know, Carl and uh, Deidre and Isaac and I went to a Yankee game uh, this past week. And uh, the people that make up the Yankees team are incredibly different. You know, you've got uh, skilled pitchers, you've got incredible hitters, uh, you've got people from all walks of life, from all over the world, essentially, uh, and they're not unified, even in the language that they speak, they're not unified in where they come from, uh, if they're honest with themselves, they might not even be unified in the passion that they have for the sport that pays them a lot of money. But there is a unity there, they're all striving for the same thing, they're all fighting to win a championship, right? Uh, and so, whether you're a third baseman who's a power hitter or you're a closer coming in to end the game, you have two different skills, but you have the same goal. And that's what Paul is saying here. We might come from different places. We might believe different things, whether it be uh, ideologically or whatever it would be. Uh, but if we have the same goal fighting for the gospel, we will be unified. I love that because uh, there is something to fight for as Christians. But we think, well, let's not be fighters. Uh, we need to, to kind of live in peace and, and just kind of let everything roll off our back. But the deal is that Paul says we need to fight, but listen to what he says. Uh, we shouldn't be fighting the people around us. Uh, we shouldn't be fighting against a people group or against someone that disagrees with us. We should be fighting for something. Paul says that bringing unity actually would involve fighting for something, striving for something, uh, but not against people, but for the gospel, which is worth our efforts. Our hope at Centerway is that we'll be known for what we're for and not known for what we're against. We want to be known uh, for how we love our community and the passion that we have for Jesus. We want to be known for the things that we are striving for. We don't want, certainly don't want to be known as a church that's against a people group or against the political ideology or against the theological position even. We, uh, we want to be known as uh, a church that's for Jesus, for the community. What, what we're against automatically sets up a posture of competition, doesn't it? If I say, hey, that's the church that's against this or against that, well, then what I'm really saying is that they have the high road in this area and they're competing against bad ideas uh, beneath them. When I hear anybody that's against something, there's always a division that comes into play there. They're competing for the right stance, the right position but Jesus says when we're, divide, when we're united, excuse me, it won't be because we're all in one accord in one place. It'll be because we're fighting for the thing that matters the most. So what are we for? In fact, I'll ask this in terms of the Matthew Emmons story. What is your life aiming at right now? Are you aiming at people? <laughs> are you saying, hey, the target is the people that think differently than I do? Or is your life aiming for gospel unity, saying no matter what happens, I want people to know that there's a God that has paid the price on their behalf already. The good news of the gospel. We said it like this as a teaching team, the question that is in your notes on version and even up on the screen. What are you competing for? What are you competing for? In other words, what is the target of your life? 
You can work so incredibly hard at uh, lining up your sights at a bullseye. But if it's the wrong bullseye, you're going to be disappointed whether you hit it or not. See, uh, so many of us, I think, just say, what's the easiest target to hit? I think I'm just going to go for the easiest target. I'm just going to try to uh, maybe blend in a little bit, which isn't always a bad thing. Uh, I'm just going to not make waves. But man, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to each and every one of us today and saying, I have a target for you. I have a plan for you. I have something for you, whether it be in your school or at your job or even in your families. There's something for you. Don't settle for what's easy. Don't settle for the easiest target to hit. In fact, make sure that you're aiming for exactly what it is that God would call you to aim for. The second thing, this is, this is two. I said the second thing. Uh, the second thing uh, that I think the text reminds us of in terms of uh, aiming our life at something appropriate is found in the beginning of Philippians chapter 2. So there are four verses that I want to read together and then talk about. They say this. I'll move out of your way. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You begin to see the unity in that. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here we begin to see Paul breaking down what it looks like for us to turn our attention toward Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 is one of the most magnificent um, diatribes on on the nature of Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth. Claude's going to be talking about that next week and really, really excited for that. Uh, but for our time today, the second indication of gospel unity is that we will be serving each other, serving each other. Now, I know what that sounds like. All right, let's do a foot washing ceremony, you know, and oh, come on now, let's just be really friendly with each other. And, you know, the Bible is great because it has a really cool way of saying it that goes so much deeper than being nice to each other. I think the important gauge for any Christian message is that if it can be preached in a Jewish synagogue and a Muslim community, and they go, oh, wow, that's good stuff, then we've missed it, I think. Because without Jesus coming in and telling us exactly what sets us apart or what sets Christ apart uh, in a Christian community, then we're just teaching moralism. We're just saying, be nicer or do good things to people. Now, that's good. I'm not saying the opposite. But Jesus is the variable in a Christian's life that changes everything. Because when you were a kid, and if you're still a kid, you were taught, hey, be good to people, be nice to people, love each other, you know, don't say mean things. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And that's all well and good. But how many people have heard that and ended up becoming adults and being the meanest people you have ever heard, seen in your entire life, you know? Uh, just speaking moral things to people, wagging your finger and saying, be good, don't be bad, it doesn't work. 
So how can it work? How can Paul say to us, be in unity, kind of love each other, and look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others? How is that different than what anybody else in the world says? And the answer, not just because we're at Centerway, but the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the center, and we're going to talk about what that looks like in just a second here. Uh, Because in verse 4, when Paul says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, he uses an interesting word for look. He uses a Matthew Emmons word uh, when he uses the word look. Uh, That is the Greek word skopuntes, all right? Skopuntes, it's where we get our English word scope from, all right? And what is a scope? If you put it on a rifle, a scope is one thing that you look through to make sure that you are lined up with exactly what you want to hit. So if I'm shooting my rifle and I look through a scope, I'm not just going to say, okay, that's good, I got it, just stare for a second and then do whatever I want with my rifle. I'm going to make sure that what I am aiming at is exactly what that scope is lined up with. And Paul says there is a scope for your life that's available to you uh, that, that is looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so he says we should be just as focused on what matters to the people in our world as we are uh, to what matters to us. And if you have kids in this room, you know exactly what this is like. If you have brothers or sisters in this room, you know exactly uh, what this looks like. Uh, you have to like things that you never even imagined that you would like. Any dads in here have daughters that have played dress-up and tea parties, and you know what, uh, um, I don't know, you know what American Girl Doll's names are and all that kind of stuff? Uh, I have boys, thankfully, but I'm not immune to this. When the boys were like two, three years old, there was a Toy Story phase, right? And so I had to know all about Toy Story, right? We had to get all of the toys. We got Toy Story 1, 2, and 3. I never cried during Toy Story 3, I promise you that. (laughs) Uh, We watched it over and over and over and over again. And that wasn't enough. There were specials on TV that we DVR'd, right? 15-minute specials uh, that we had to watch and watch and watch. And so you have to become a pro at what your kids love. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse is very similar for us and probably still is. Uh, Then we moved a little bit out of Toy Story into superheroes. And each and every day, the question, who would win in a fight, came up. And so you had to know all your superheroes. You couldn't just say uh, Spider-Man versus Iron Man and then be done with it. Because if you did it more than once, Isaac would say, well, we already did that one. We already established that. Now who else? And so we had to get into, like, Firecracker Man and, like, uh, you know, Doesn't Recycle Man and all this kind of stuff, you know. Like, we knew all of their powers. We knew all those things that, that set them apart, and we had to get very, very meticulous into who would win in that fight, you know. Uh, now, superheroes are cool. You know, they're great. You also had to know which one was Marvel and which one was DC, right? Because if you crossed over, that was bad. That was really bad. Um, but we moved out of the superhero phase into a baseball phase, which I'm pretty excited about, you know. And, you know, there's a little bit of an obsession there, you know. My wife is shaking her head right now because she's like, oh, Lord, I need to look to other people's interests. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's been fun. But there also is a time where I'm like, hey, that's enough words for the day. Would you please, just please just read a book? You know, I just do anything, you know. Um, but as a dad, 
I have to take uh, interest. I have to scope and taste, right? I have to look at the interests of my kids. Now, uh, I'm talking about frivolous things, but obviously I'm also talking about their uh, health. You know, I'm talking about the, their safety. Uh, you should have seen Deidre as we were on the subway. Uh, you know, she's like button up against these subways and making sure she's pushing Isaac off the yellow line and all that kind of stuff uh, because she needs to look out for Isaac's interests as well. A brother and a sister, good older sisters, right? Do what their little brothers want them to do or, or whatever. She's like, amen. <laughs> that's, just, that's just what you do in a family. And Paul is saying that when we scope, when we scope, when we look at uh, the interests of others, that's what our life is taking aim at. That's what our life begins to take aim at. I love, real quick, I, I love that Paul doesn't say, stop looking at your own interests. Start looking at the interests of others. Paul doesn't say it's bad of you to be interested in things, right? Forget about yourself and start focusing on somebody else. No. Paul says, just like you're aiming your life at your own interest, remember part of that scope is going to be other people as well. Take aim, scopuntes, at, at what other people care about as well. Let your scope include what matters to other people, not just what matters to you too. So gospel unity looks like a church who fights for something meaningful side by side, right? Soon athleto, like you're on the same team together, as well as serves each other in a focused and a targeted way, like Scopuntes would say. So here, Paul is giving us two great examples of what uh, our lives should be aiming at, what our lives should be competing for. And what Claude likes to say uh, is that the text always demands something of us. We can't just look at the text and say, oh, that's good to know, right? What is it saying that I should do? What response does it demand from me? And I believe that today is no different. Today is no different. So the question that we would have in your notes and up on the screen today is, how can the proper attitude bring me to a deeper place of contentment? How can the proper attitude bring me to a deeper place of contentment? As we're talking about what comprises contentment, what are the contents of contentment, what can the proper attitude, the proper aim with my life, uh, do toward bringing me to a proper place, a deeper place of contentment? See, if you've been paying attention, contentment won't be found in targeting my will and shooting for that. We can't just put up with other people and say, okay, it's my turn. My turn to be happy. My turn to be content. My turn to do what I want to do. And when I do what I want to do, then we'll be, I'll be content. Then I will live uh, a deep and a meaningful life. Scripture makes that very clear, that you may hit that bullseye there, but it's going to be the wrong target. And you're going to be devastated. At the end of your life, can you imagine... Your last day on earth, you're on your deathbed, let's say, and you look back and you say, look at all of my accomplishments. Look at all the things that I hit with a bullseye. Can you imagine what it would be like if you realized suddenly none of that mattered? None of that mattered. I can't take my toys with me when I go. Uh, you know, the, the kingdom that I built, I will give away to another. Uh, it will be, it will change when I'm gone. The things that I thought were meaningful all of a sudden aren't. 
And so Paul is saying, listen, there's hope for you today. If you can read these words in Philippians, there's hope for you today. You can readjust your aim and live a life of contentment. But here's the deal. Please hear me at this point. He's not saying be nicer. Just try harder and you'll have contentment. Uh, Just do things for other people and everything is going to be okay. What he's actually saying to take aim at is part of a bigger uh, pericope, a bigger passage, uh, which talks about the attitude that Jesus had when he decided that it would be uh, his will to do his father's will and leave the comfort and the glories of heaven to come down, be born in a lowly manger, and live a life as a human. See, that's Jesus's attitude that is on display. So we're not taking aim at being nicer. What we're actually taking aim at is Christ. We're taking aim at the same attitude that Jesus had. Why Jesus? Why are we taking aim at Jesus? Because he could have made life about him, couldn't he? He could have said, hey, it is about me. I'm going to live an individualistic. I'm going to live a private life until I go to the cross because really that's the mode of salvation anyway. But he decided not to. Instead, he gathered friends around him. And he fought side by side, soon athleto, for a gospel unity on the same team, even though he knew it would cost him dearly. And Jesus could have demanded that people aim at his happiness and his success. Who would blame him? Who would blame him? Leaving heaven, having the very nature of God, leaving heaven to come to earth, who would blame him to say, okay, it is about you. I'll take aim, Jesus, at your comfort level, at your, uh, uh, you know, your, your success, your happiness. But he didn't say that. In fact, Jesus said this, the Son of Man, pointing to himself, didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So what Paul is saying here and what I would love for you to hear this morning uh, is that we don't aim at trying harder and doing better. We aim at Jesus who already did the work on our behalf. And there's good news for you this morning that you don't have to worry about whether you're aiming at the right target. If I could just aim at the right target, then I'll go to heaven. Or uh, God will love me more. Or I will be uh, in a safer place with my soul. No, we're aiming at Jesus because Jesus already took aim at the right target and he hit the bullseye with his life. And so what we're doing now is that we're rejoicing that he has done the work for us. He won the gold medal, if I can say it that way. And he's waiting to give that to us, put it over our necks. If we would just say, yes, Jesus, I want what you have for me. I believe that you already did the work of hitting the bullseye. And now, as a result of that, I get the gold medal? That's amazing. If that's my life goal, if, if salvation is my goal, which I think it should be for each and every one of us, then our response should be, well, then, Jesus, I'm going to line up my life with whatever target you want me to hit. Whatever it is that you want me to take aim at, I am going to, to line my life up with it. And Paul says a great place to start is other people caring about their needs, standing side by side, uh, fighting for the truth of that good news of the gospel that we just talked about. I'd ask if you would bow your heads in this moment. We're going to allow a few moments for God to speak to us and for us to speak to God. And then we're going to respond to the word through worship.
But before we do that, I would love to uh, ask you a question without anybody looking around or anything going on. I'd love to ask you two questions. Number one, what do you feel like your life is aiming at right now? What are, what's the goal that you're trying to hit with your one and only life? There's a lot of uh, answers to that. I won't go through a list, but you know what that is. And if you're unsure, the Holy Spirit can reveal that to you right here and right now. Whatever it is, if you can't honestly say it's all Jesus, <laughs> then there's a place for you here. Because this church isn't comprised of people that all get it. They have it all together. Uh, and we're just trying to be all, you know, all perfect together. <laughs> side by side in perfection. That's not it. There's a place of repentance for you as we begin these, these next few songs here. Say, Jesus, it's all about you today. The more important question that I think that I have for you today uh, is, have you ever said yes to Jesus? Have you ever said, Jesus, I want my life to take aim at whatever it is that you want it to take aim at? Maybe you've lived your entire life thinking life is about me. If I can just aim at the right selfish things, then I will be happy. I'll be content. And this morning, Jesus is beginning to, to speak to your heart a little bit and say, what if? What if I don't have to strive against people anymore? What if I don't even have to contend or strive with myself anymore? What if I can just rest in the finished work of Jesus and say yes to him today? I'm here to tell you, that is the way to contentment. That's the content of contentment, resting in what Jesus has already done for you. He loved you so much that even if you were the only person on earth, he would have left heaven, come down to earth and take aim at that cross. And as he did, he would have thought of you. He thought of you when he did. So this morning, if you've never said yes to Jesus, to, uh, to say yes to him uh, coming into your life, crossing that line of faith, then today's your day. In fact, I know both the lead and the launch team have been praying for you for this moment, that you would say yes to him this morning. So anybody looking around with no... Uh, eyes moving anywhere. Uh, if that's you, I would love for you just to look up at me. And as you do, we're going to just agree with you. I'm not going to say your name. I'm not going to make you come up here or anything like that. We're just going to agree that you're stepping over that line of faith. Is there anyone going to say, yeah, that's me. I want to begin that relationship with Jesus today. 